The contents at lab reports are meant for educational purposes only and not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about Ackermansia mucinophila. Everybody's favorite commensal bacteria. What does it do and why do we care? That's right. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. They fixed that gas leak outside your apartment, oh, your man. housing complex. They hit the big one, is what the cop said. <laughs> That's they not hit good. the big one with the gas line. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you, Patty? I am living my best life, and I'm excited that your house did not blow up. You know, when there's a gas leak a mere couple hundred feet away from your house. Not great. That's not a great it, day. It doesn't help you sleep very well that night. No, it does not. But anyway, my, my question now becomes. Aren't those things really outlined and marked really well on the ground? Like, how do you hit a gas line these days? I didn't do it. Oh. Anyway, this Uh is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova. And it's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the rest. (laughs) And if you're... Like gas lines. (laughs) If you're new to the show, welcome. And if you're coming back, thank you. And listen... It would help us if you go maybe mm-hmm. subscribe to the show. I'm not your boss. I can't tell you what to do, but that might be really nice to do. That would be great. Right. We would really yeah. like that. Great review, stars, all that stuff. If that's not enough engagement for you, you can always send any other questions, feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. And if you're a patient interested in Genova testing, you can order directly through Genova Connect, or it also connects you with other clinicians. So go to connect.gdx.net. All right, Patty, what's mm-hmm. going on today? What are we talking about? What's our topic of the day? Well, topic du jour. <laughs> we're going to talk about the commensal bacteria, Acromantia mucinophila. We all love that one. Everyone loves it. Every time you ask a medical a education darling. specialist their favorite, everyone says Acromantia. And, you know, we know this specific commensal bacteria is important for gut barrier function and mm-hmm. the mucin and mucus layer of the GI tract. All right, Michael, so what do you know about the mucus layer? Oh, man, I know experientially all about huh? the mucus layer, having just gotten over a five-day wicked uh. cold. <laughs> I mean, my house should be nicknamed the mucus layer. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if God we'll ever you. get the walls clean, honestly. <laughs> well, that being said, you're right. There is mucus and mucus membranes lining our respiratory tract, but we're specifically talking about the gastrointestinal tract, uh, which is a little bit different. Yes, I should have known. Uh, but, you know, I, it's funny because... When we think about like gut barrier function, mm-hmm. um, and when we've been talking about tests like the GIFX for a long time, a lot of times we'll talk about fecal secretory IgA being a marker of the f- you know the, the first line of defense, um, which is true. But like if you actually think about gut barrier uh-huh. and mucosal integrity, it's actually the mucus layer that is technically the first layer of defense. I mean, it mm-hmm. is an actual protective barrier um, for the epithelial lining, which then, you know, if the mucus layer erodes, then we're going to see fecal secretory IgA. But the, how important is the mucus layer, right? And mm-hmm. so it's exciting that we're going to be talking about this today. And we always, you know, get major props whenever we talk about acromantia, especially parties totally. and it's dinners and, and everything fan else. Fan favorite, fan yeah. favorite. Yeah. But that being said, we think about the cells that line our GI tract, right? We have those enterocytes that 
lines it together. Then there's also things like, like teeth. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that episode. Like the leaky gut episode. That's right. But we also have things like crypts Take and that. goblet cells that are actually secreting mucin that add to that, that mucin mucus layer. And it's different when you look at the small intestine versus the large intestine because you have more of a mucus layer in the large intestine than the small intestine because there's more goblets in the large intestine. Yeah, and that was one that was always easy for me to remember in histology. I don't know why, but it was like the name goblet cell. It just yeah. seemed like it would just be spewing out mucus all over the GI tract. I don't know why. Because it's like but a just, cup, a goblet. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. But did you know, did you know that your GI tract produces, on average, 10 liters of intestinal mucin per day? Good grief. Seems like a lot. That is, dis- that is right? so gross. But ten, it's important. 10 liters? Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. But All right. here's, here's now the question. Now my house looks normal comparison. That's right. Be thankful. So the question I have for you is, why do we have intestinal mucin? Why do we have that mucus layer? Right. So the mucus layer serves a lot of functions in the GI tract. It, like I said before, it acts as a barrier. Um, it, it acts as a lubricant, right? So if you're doing this whole peristalsis thing and you're moving food along the GI tract, digesting, mm-hmm. absorbing, and whatnot, uh, it's very helpful to have that lubricant. Um, it actually acts as somewhat of like a trapping agent for some of our immune cells so that they can identify what's there, what should be there, what shouldn't be there. Um, it acts as sort of like helping with, uh, food progression. Like I said before, stool progression, peristalsis through the GI tract. Um, and so, yeah, it's very, very important and is one of the things that's actually altered quite a bit in a lot of our functional bowel disturbances and even inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. And usually the production and the degradation of the mucin and that turnover is pretty stable, but when it's not, and the, the production is lower than the degradation. It's associated with things, to your point, like you just said, you know, inflammatory bowel disease. But what are the things that cause the mucin layers to be produced and degraded and regulated? Uh, it's a good question. And when I think we need to make the distinction, too, between the difference uh, between mucus and mucin, right? So yep. mucus is kind of like the, the, the end substance. Um, the and, slimy stuff. Yeah, and so... And this is like the whole, this whole thing is pretty understudied compared yeah. to a lot of the other functions of the GI tract. But the mucus itself is mostly water. It's mostly aqueous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then aside from that, there's some lipids and the mucins are the proteins that are part of it. They make up about one to five percent of the mucus. But the composition of these mucins, these proteins, can really determine the overall function and structure of the mucus itself. So Uh, It's not just like one thing, one size fits all mucus. Like you can really alter the composition of the mucus layer based on what you were asking before. It can be altered based on bacterial colonization or what sort of balance your microbiome is in. Your immune system is going to have an impact on the quality and the concentration of the mucus. Um, Your diet, uh, you know, what you're eating, your fiber intake or what you're not eating in the form of like starvation. Um, You know, certainly if you're taking something like prebiotics, probiotics, you're altering the microbiome. So that's going to have an impact on the uh, the mucus layer as well. So um, it's it's pretty fascinating. And, And again, like I said, an area that we need to understand a little bit more, but it's an area that lends itself to our topic du jour, which is acromantia. <laughs> and like we said, it's acromantia mucinophila. And this is a commensal bacteria. It's one of the good guys down there. And as its name suggests, you know, mucin is mm. the mucin layer and phila love of. So what acromantia mucinophila does is it gobbles up the mucin 
and uses it for energy and uses that energy to make important short-chain fatty acids. So it's not just a clever name. No, it is not. And it's the, one of the few bacteria that we don't actually have to feed with prebiotic foods. It actually just needs the mucin. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and is it true or not true? We don't have a game for this, so okay. I'm just going to ask you directly. Oh, no. True or not true? So Ackermansia degrades mucus. That's right. But then how come we associate Ackermansia with a better quality mucus layer? Is it because it dis- degrades it and therefore allows for the greater production of more mucus? It's almost yep. like tending the field. Exactly. It's like it's it degrades it, which stimulates the production of more and makes a thicker, stronger mucus layer. And so that we get that question a lot on the phone from clinicians who don't quite understand that. They think that Ackermansia makes mucin. It actually gobbles it up. It goblets it up. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, as I like to do, Michael, I like to break down the naming of things. Mm. And Acromancia mucinophila was named after... I get the second part, but the first part still. Yeah, like Acromancia. It's named after a a Dutch microbiologist named Anton Ackermans. And what's interesting is for for such an important commensal bacteria, it's fairly newly recognized and is only now starting to become understood with the advent of the Human Microbiome Project in the early 2000s. And in fact, it wasn't until 2004 we even knew that this Acromantium mucinophila was a thing. It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, how recently we're learning about this stuff. It wasn't that long ago that basically all we had at our means was a culture analysis to study the aerobic bacteria. Um, And we know that the aerobic bacteria is a very small percentage of the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's amazing how much we're learning so rapidly and um, knowing how technology progresses, mm-hmm. it's only going to keep getting crazier and crazier as we see every day in the research. That's right. I actually feel bad for Anton Ackermans. Why? Because he died in 2006 and he doesn't know how famous his name is now. It's all over the place. Yeah, that's true. He had two years to sort of live it up and yeah. he didn't, it's sort of like Picasso. He didn't know exactly how celebrated he would become. Right. So as it relates to the GI tract, Mm -hmm. what we are typically seeing a lot in the research and even out there in the world of functional and integrative medicine is that we're all wanting acromantia. We want to make sure patient has adequate levels of acromantia. If you're measuring quantitative numbers, you want to see it inside the reference range. And uh, if you look at our GI effects comprehensive profile, you'll see that about 20% of uh, even the healthy cohort had below detectable levels of acromantia. So there's a certain amount of, I, I guess you could say, question mark around where exactly you want acromantia to fall within an optimal perspective, right? Because if we found during investigation that there's actually a subset of people that don't have acromantia, there's a couple questions that come to mind. First, is there another subset of bacteria that are serving the role of you know, maintaining the mucus layer. I think that's absolutely possible. And I'm sure there's research out there that I'm unaware of that supports that. <laughs> that's my <laughs> research is out there. I just haven't seen it statement. <laughs> that's your disclaimer said I'm too lazy to look this look up. Look it up, people. Please email us the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like I do. we've talked about before how these bacteria are always in it's not just about one. They're always in constant that's flux right. and balance. And a lot of times when you don't have the one that you're looking for, there's probably another one very similar to it doing a job. Um However, there's a lot of research on people who have, you know, uh, uh, I guess statistical studies showing that a population, if that you have lower acromantia, you have a higher risk of functional bowel disorders. You have a higher risk of, um, you know, IBD, IBS, um, and all sorts of different GI disturbances. That being said, there's also some research out there to indicate that it actually depends. 
Wow, here we go again, Meaning Michael. Meaning that here we go. there are some studies out there that suggest that very high levels of acromantia also could perhaps be associated with things like inflammation in the GI tract and inflammatory bowel. So I don't know the mechanism of that, mm-hmm. but I have an idea. Oh, no. Sometimes literature is inconclusive. That's right. No one really seems to know the answers. Uh-huh. But we're lucky because we have someone who always has an answer, and that's Michael Chapman. What? He's going to offer us his logical speculation. I am? Yeah. Achoo! You know what? What? I'm getting tired of this. Um, you know, in fact, look. because I've already used my line of, I'm sure there's research out there, just go find it for me. <laughs> I'm not going to do this one. I'm not going to do this logical. My, this is going to be Michael. Patty's logical speculation no, no, because no, I no. feel like I'm I'm really out on a limb here and I'm, I'm being accused of just making stuff no, up. not at all. In fact, this is where you thrive, out on that limb, while we're all sitting, you know, near the center of the tree, watching you out there waving. So Flailing. just wave away, Michael Chapman. Go for it. All right. <laughs> so here's the thing. All right. And I think always a good logical speculation has to start with a here's the thing. It always does. <laughs> so... <laughs> what we're what we're thinking about is acromantia is essentially utilizing the mucins for energy for production of short chain fatty acids, mm-hmm. and so if you have some sort of imbalance between the levels of acromantia and the levels of production of mucus and mucins, what you're going to have is basically an overactive level of acromantia comparatively to the amount of mucus that you're producing. So essentially, you could think of you're over harvesting. The acromantia is really utilizing every little bit of mucus that's coming out and all the mucins therein. And perhaps even in response, the goblet cells are trying to increase and increase the amount of mucins. And that's causing some sort of imbalance between and and, and basically the, the barrier aspect of the mucus layer is not serving the barrier function. That's where you start to get the erosion of the mucus layer. And as a consequence, inflammation. Wow. Okay, well, that's fascinating. And... I'm just going to say, in general, it's a lower levels and lack of acromancia that's more of a problem. True. Not only in functional gastrointestinal disorders, but there's some fascinating literature out there as it relates to things like obesity. Hmm. And they're starting to use um, acromancia treatments and trying to stimulate acromancia and mucin in obese patients, and it's actually working. That's wild. I what is the know. connection between the mucus layer and obesity? I don't understand. Like uh, these things, Dude. sometimes we understand that at the end of the day, everything's connected. Can we just we start there? Yes, we all know course. that. Okay, fine. Everything's connected. Mm-hmm. But the mucus layer and obesity. Well, I mean, some things test your faith, right? Where you're like, <laughs> no. how is the what does the mucus layer <laughs> have to do with obesity? Like, connect the dots for me, please. Well, first, first of all, some of it is clinical associations with things like obesity. Impaired lipid metabolism, metabolic disorders, and so. So you're saying correlation doesn't equal causation. We always come to that place where we're like, okay, every house that burns down has a sink, therefore sinks cause house fires. That's not true. But as it relates specifically to the mucin layer and acromancia, it might just be you said this mucus layer has lipids in it and other like sugars and waters, and there is an active metabolism happening Mm -hmm. around this. Mm -hmm. So alteration in that could have systemic effects because you just pointed out. Everything's connected. Well, what, yeah. Well, what I said was during a logical speculation, so that's all to be taken with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I think another thing that what you just 
pointed at was that when we've done some of our internal studies around shifts in the microbiome and mm -hmm. different patternings, um, we found that there was very common shifts in a number of different clinical conditions. Right. So like you would find that acromantia was low in metabolic disorder, obesity, mood disorder, chronic fatigue, yeah. autoimmune diseases, right? So it's not necessarily just the connection, I would assume, between the clinical presentation, obesity, and low acromantia. It's more likely the under the, the, the third variable, which is a general shift in the microbiome and what we would call, I guess, a, a dysbiosis towards a negative health and consequence. Right, and likely due to that barrier and the barrier function itself. Or at least in part. It's hard to know. It's a chicken and the Fair. egg, which That's we did solve, but when it comes to the microbiome, that, it's always hard with explaining how the pre-chicken relates to the microbiome. Still classic. Anyway, so I've been pretty verbose during this episode. So yeah. I'm going to say with respect to low levels of acromantia, and we talked about a lot of the clinical conditions that are associated with that, makes sense that we would maybe want to boost levels mm -hmm. to improve the integrity of the mucus layer. So how do you do that? Like, what are sure. some of the things that you can do to actively promote the growth of acromantia? There is a ton of research being done at acromantia mucinophila because of how important it's now being seen. But that being said, a lot of that literature is around how to boost it. Mm -hmm. What do you do? How do you increase these levels? And it comes down, as we know, oftentimes to diet, you know, and prebiotic what? foods, things that contain inulin. One of the biggest ones that is known to promote the growth of acromancia is actually pomegranates and cranberries, which is interesting. Right. It's not necessarily a staple of our diet. Right. Pomegranates. Right. But you can buy some prebiotic foods that actually have pomegranate extract in them. Yeah. And you could actually just buy inulin, too. The mm -hmm. only thing I would say about inulin is it's, you know, it's definitely a, a strong prebiotic fiber, especially if you're supplementing it directly. So you certainly want to exercise caution in patients that might have any sort of signs of like small IBS. intestinal bacterial right. overgrowth. Yeah. 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 There are also studying various probiotics, right? Because we know down in the microbiome, the commensal bacteria signal to each other, right? Mm -hmm. They can talk to each other. So there are some really important studies being done with various probiotics, you know, strains of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, for example, that are shown to help promote acromantia growth. Right. And furthermore, there's some new cutting edge probiotics that are coming out there that you can actually deliver acromantia as a probiotic. I know people have been waiting oh, and waiting yes. and waiting. It's finally here. There for is the acromantia probiotic. probiotic. Yep. So it's available. Um, I, you know, not knowing anything about it, uh, it, you know, and about the company, how it's prepared and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm excited to use it in clinical practice and mm -hmm. see what kind of results we get. Um, it'd be fascinating when we get some of our first consults that come on with oh, patients sure. and clinicians who have put people on this probiotic to see, you know, their results and stuff like that. So yeah. um, that that's always fascinating too because we've seen various alterations in lactobacillus, people mm -hmm. on lactobacillus, and it comes back and it's like still way low. And right, it's like, well, right, yeah, right. Know. I mean, we could link to them in the show notes and perhaps maybe reach out and see if we could get somebody from their clinical team on the uh, podcast yeah, to discuss, but it's here. Acromantia probiotics. Or pomegranate. Or pomegranate extract. Cranberry juice. Well, and also berberine, because oh. berberine is so crazy. Like, and think we about should it do a this, whole berberine episode. Think about it in perspective of what you talked about on this episode, though. Yes. So berberine is not... People think of it as like an antimicrobial, but it's really been shown it can have some antimicrobial properties in the GI tract. Like, it's been used for ages and ages and ages for what they used to call traveler's diarrhea mm -hmm. um, back when people traveled, like, you know, 
on foot in nature and stuff like that. Right. Um, so it was used great for that, it, but it really helps to shift the overall populations of the microbiome. It's really more of a, a microbiome modulator. And what's more is it's fantastic in insulin resistance. I was just going to say that. Right? It's so, used in diabetics and insulin. Right. right. So it's Excellent. like it, it fits right in the wheelhouse of what we're talking about in this episode. So berberine is a great thing to, to consider. Oh, uh -oh. Travis. <laughs> I think he just wanted us to stop talking. I think so. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. All right, well, here's the question. It actually came I'm, through email. I'm ready. <laughs> so we just spent all this time talking about the importance of Acromantia mucinophila mm. and the mucin layer. You pointed out the GI effects, but we're really excited here because now we have an add-on to the GI effects called the microbiomics, which is whole genome sequencing. Yeah. So my question to you, Michael, is how are all the ways we're looking at Acromantia and the mucus and mucin layer in the GI tract on those tests? Name the ways. So we're on the... Traditional comprehensive GI effects, the 2200 test, uh, we are looking at a PCR analysis, which is a 16S PCR, uh, for a quantitative measurement of acromantia. So mm -hmm. the nice thing about a quantitative measurement via PCR or, or real-time or any of these 16S technologies is that you can compare the actual value to a healthy cohort as far as like numbers levels. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like a, a population total. Sure. So that's super great. Um, the other way that we're doing it on the microbiomics, the add-on to the GIFX, this is whole genome sequencing. So this is relative abundance. So you're still comparing to a healthy cohort, but it's more about its proportionality to the rest of the microbiome, right? Is it making up 3% of the microbiome or 5% of the microbiome? And so that gives you a little bit of a difference, different look. You know, it's more about like, the overall pie chart and its relative, you know, quant, uh, its relative proportion in that pie chart. So um, that's another way that we're looking. And a third way that we're even evaluating, not acromantia per se, but overall mucin and the mucus layer is we're measuring uh, the degradation uh, breakdown of mucus in the GI tract as well. So that's a third way that it's not just related to acromantia, but the overall degradation of mucin uh, in the GI tract is is can tell you about maybe some of the other contributors right, right. around the mucus layer as well. Yeah, the genetic potential of the entire microbiome to degrade mucin. Awesome. Bless you. Next time on The Lab Report, gearing up for cold season. Nah. No. Neti pots? No. Mentholatum chesterub. Okay, maybe. Escargot? What? Uh, I see what you did there. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Well, I'm just glad you're feeling better and that your whole family is feeling better after all that sickness. My pocketbook's not feeling better. Why? I mean... Do you know how much facial tissue, like, two kids go through over the course of a cold? A lot. It's I, we, 
the whole house. And they don't know, like, they're too sick, so it's like you can't even walk into the trash can. So it's just, like, literally... Thrown on the ground? You, the whole floor. Like, you, it's the softest floor you've ever, like, walked on. But again, <laughs> hence back to the mucus layer, because it's like... Slippery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to stick up for your kids, because okay. at least they're using tissue and not, like... Their shirt or the back of your shirt or the couch, oh, don't, or like no. wiping it on the Hold cat. On, no. Like don't, poor Julie, the cat is like got like mucus think, all over her. Don't think that doesn't happen. They use the <laughs> Kleenex after being reprimanded for the third time of just walking uh, right up to you and then like pretending like they're gonna give you a hug or something and then just wiping <laughs> their nose on your shirt. 